Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset, your source for news and culture in Chicago and beyond. In the summer of 1919, a black Chicago teen named Eugene Williams was swimming in Lake Michigan when he drifted across an invisible line on the segregated lakefront. Hate to see the evening sun go down. Hey, Eugene! Eugene! Leave me alone! I'm singing! Cause my baby, she done left this town. Oh, what was that? Eugene, did you see that? What was that? Look out, man! Hey! Who threw that? On the beach! Hey, on the beach! Hey, that almost hit me! Eugene! White beachgoers threw stones at Williams, striking him and causing him to drown. His death became one of the sparks for race riots that summer, known as the Red Summer. What you heard was part of an audio drama from WBEZ and the Make Believe Association called City on Fire. The Red Summer was also the basis for a collection of poetry titled 1919 from Chicago author and poet Eve Ewing. And now her book's been adapted into a play that will debut tomorrow night at the Steppenwolf Theater. Eve Ewing joins us now. Eve, thank you so much for being here. So great to meet you. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. Thanks for having me. So I want to start, Eve, from the beginning before we talk about the new stage production. What inspired you to write this collection of poems in the first place? Because I'm hearing that it has to do with a report that you just came across when you were doing research for another work of yours. Right, right. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much. So my second book, Ghosts in the Schoolyard, is about the 2013 mass school closures in Chicago public schools. And in writing that story, I set out to write it to tell a story about 2013. And I realized I really had to start that story a century earlier, which is you know, kind of a recurring thread in my work, thinking about the way that history impacts the present. And one of the sources that really struck me during that process was this 1922 report that you mentioned, The Negro in Chicago. And it's a report that sets out to explain the causes of the 1919 race riot and how something similar could ever be prevented in the future. But it also is a really interesting snapshot of black life during that period. And You know, part of the job of a poet is to find beauty in places where uh, it may not always be obvious. And I I really found myself wanting to have a a deeper relationship with this report, which is like 800 pages long. It's really long, but it's really fascinating and really interesting. And so each poem in the book 1919 is in conversation with a snippet or an excerpt from this 1922 report. So well done. And, And let's just go back to that summer, right? You heard in the intro just a bit about Eugene Williams there, as I mentioned He was killed by white beachgoers uh, that summer. What happened after that? Yeah, you know, this was a period of racial volatility, not only in cities like Chicago, but as you said, across the United States. And so, you know, there was a kind of a simmering tension that was happening. And so for after that, uh, after that, and the period after that, um, this riot began on July 27th. And ultimately, 23 black people were killed, 15 white people were killed, over 500 people were injured, uh, 1,000 people were made homeless, um, and it really only ended because of the deployment of the National Guard, um, as well as, as in a story that many Chicagoans will find familiar, um, rain. It started to rain, mm-hmm. um, which you know lessened people's ability to be able to kind of be on this, this violent spree. Um, and so you know, part of why I also wanted to write the book is 
In the last few years, I've been really heartened by how much we're having conversations about this particular period in history. Um, certainly the 1919 centennial, um, conversations about Tulsa, even Watchmen on HBO. Um, right. but, but prior to that, this was a period in history that a lot of folks were really not familiar with. Yeah. And I found that strange. Uh, you know, Chicagoans, we, we know and we love our own history. And so um, part of why I also wanted to write the book was to create kind of an accessible entry point for people to begin this conversation. You know... I'm glad you brought that up because me not being born in this country, not having grown up and gone to school in America, I thought, is it just me that has to play major catch up here? Because I didn't know about this this specific piece of history. I, I just learned about it in recent years. Uh, but I'm coming to realize that I'm not alone. How familiar were you? Yeah, no, you're, you're definitely not alone. And that was part of what struck me. You know, I, I knew very little about this period in history at the onset of this project. And, you know, one of the questions I always ask myself and a question I always encourage other people to ask themselves is when you have that moment of finding out about a devastating piece of history and you realize that you never heard about it before, my question is always who is invested and you're not knowing, right? And so I think that it's not a coincidence that oftentimes our conversations about black history in the United States, uh, you know, begin with slavery, enslavement, mm -hmm. emancipation, and then there's kind of a black box for a while where I guess, you know, people think nothing really happened. And then we jump to the civil rights movement. And I think part of the reason for that is because um, this is a period of time where there are not clear heroes. Um, there are not clear uh, happy endings, happy stories. This is a time when people really engaged in some truly gruesome acts of, of violence. Um, and there's not a savior. There's not a happy ending to it. And so um, I think that that's part of why uh, this is a complicated and tough history to tell. But I have really come to believe that it is a, a really important moment that we should understand if we want to understand some of the, the racial boundaries that still shape our city today. Yeah. Uh, you divide the book into three sections, right? Before, what happened, and after. So I'm going to skip right to the what happened, Eve, right? I I'm, would love it if you would read the poem titled Jump Rope for us, because that one really spoke to me. When I read it, I was just thinking wow, there's so much depth to the subject matter here. Like I'm thinking about what we're talking about, but then there's this childhood innocence and this like sense of oblivion that's speaking to me as well. Sure, yeah, I'd be happy to read it. Um, it begins with this passage, as all the poems do, begins with this passage from The Negro in Chicago. On Sunday, July 27th, 1919, there was a clash of white people and Negroes at a bathing beach in Chicago, which resulted in the drowning of a Negro boy. This poem is called Jump rope little eugene jean jean sweetest i've seen 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 his mama told him him them white boys mean 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 he didn't listen 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 to what mama say 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 went to the lake 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 that july day 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 no, it goes like, little Eugene W, so sorry to trouble you. Rise, Eugene, rise. Calm your mama's cries. Just sit up and look around. Don't let them bury you down. No, it goes like, down, down, baby, down, down, the water's tugging. Sweet, sweet baby, don't make me let you go. Swallow, swallow, grab the sky. Swallow, swallow, dark. Swallow, swallow, grab the sky. Swallow, swallow, dark. Grandma, grandma, sick in bed. Call on Jesus, cause your baby's. No, it goes like, all dressed in black, 
black, black, all dressed in black, 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 all dressed in. And he never came back, back, back. Mm. And that's how I read it, too. I'm so glad you, you, you read that one for us. Thank you. What goes through your mind? You know, um, to be honest with you, I think this, this, is, this is my uh, third book, um, and I've written a couple others since then. And this is still the hardest one that I, that I had to write. And I think that it's for, for good reason. You know, what I hope um, that the book and the story inspires in people is thinking about the ways that I've come to conceptualize these folks as being our neighbors, these folks who lost their lives mm-hmm. over a century ago. There are neighbors who happen to be separated from us by time and space, but we still share space with them. And I feel really grateful um, that I've had the opportunity to tell this story in this way. Um, and that each time I read the poem, you know, for me, it's it's taking another moment to eulogize, taking another moment to to remember Eugene. So walk us through this process, Eve. You're transitioning 1919, a book of poems to the stage. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really honored. So folks who know a little bit about me know that I used to be a Chicago public school teacher. And um, as a teacher, I really appreciated the series Steppenwolf for Young Adults. So every year, Steppenwolf Theater puts on at least one play that is open to everybody, welcome, you know, everybody is welcome, but is specifically geared with curricular resources and um, supports to be um, amenable and welcoming to young people, people in middle school, people in high school. Mm-hmm. And that's a resource I really appreciated as a, as a teacher. They write great teaching guides, write great curriculum. Curriculum. And I'm really honored that um, that this year uh, Steppenwolf for Young Adults is producing this play. And I'm even more honored that it wasn't adapted by me. It was adapted by an incredible playwright, Jay Nicole Brooks. Yes. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm very collaborative as an artist, as a writer, and I really appreciate the opportunity to see other people shine and, you know, take a new approach to telling this story. Why were they the right playwright to get you there? Yeah, you know, um, this is a person who, if you don't know Jay Nicole Brooks's work, um, this is going to be a treat for you if you come out to see the show. Someone who shares my obsessive interest in Chicago history, somebody mm-hmm. who is also a black Chicagoan who, you know, has their own memories and experiences with um, not only dealing with racism in general in Chicago, but actually dealing with segregation around water and around beaches and is really bringing all that insight as well as um, a real care and love for the ensemble and for the material to the production. So I feel very privileged to have the opportunity to work with them. Is the stage version also split into three parts, like the book, or do you pick up where the book leaves off? Like, how do you? Yeah, you know, I don't. It? Um, I don't want to speak because I'm I'm not the person who did the adaptation, but um, it's a really interesting challenge to bring a book of poetry to the stage. I can imagine. And all I'll say is that they've done it creatively and beautifully, um, and that it really leans on. Um, thinking imaginatively about the casting and and leaning forward into this kind of ensemble-based production. Well, keeping in mind the challenges that you witnessed, you know, just kind of watching uh, Jane Nicole Brooks' process, did any of those challenges turning this to to the stage, did any of them differ from what you came across during just the writing process? Yeah, you know, I think the thing that's the same is um, the emotional weight and heft of these stories. You know, part of why that report we talked about earlier, The Negro in Chicago, part of what struck me about it was it, it was written, you know, at the time over a century ago. Um, but 
so many of the things that that the authors were commenting on um, are so resonant with our issues that we face today. And so, you know, these are folks who are saying, you know, we have this issue with segregation in the city and we can fix it if we just make sure people have equitable access to parks, if we just make sure people have equitable access to jobs, to housing, to Mm -hmm. high quality schools, if we make sure that black people aren't frequently disparaged in the media. Right. And it's really, a a, you know, a strike to the heart um, to read those words and to realize how many of the same issues we're dealing with today. And I think that, you know, the cast, the incredible directors um, and the playwright all dealt with that same emotional weight. The difference that I think is so exciting is, um, you know, as a poet, I uh, am very much raised by a performance tradition. And uh, for those who, you know, have seen me read in person, uh, definitely not as much in the last few years due to COVID. But, you know, I definitely bring my body to the way that I share this work. And the opportunity to see that in a theatrical setting um, with choreography, with props, and with, again, this just brilliant ensemble of, of actors um, is is really special. I think we just got a beautiful example of that five minutes ago. Yeah, and sorry to people who didn't expect to hear me sing on the radio this morning. Apologies. <laughs> Please be unapologetic about that because it was fantastic. Thank you. Um, speaking of your poetry, though, you, I mean, you've done nonfiction books. You've done comic books, poetry. How do you decide what format you're going to choose to use for a particular story? Yeah, you know, that's the question people ask me the most. And it's the question I have the the worst answer to because I, I really don't Here's know. Here's another chance to practice. <laughs> yeah, I really, I really don't know. You know, it's a little bit, I, I think um, some of it is a little bit mysterious to me as well. But I think that stories um, for me often want to be told a, a certain way and that um, I try to be open when I sit down to writing a story to figuring out how it lends itself to one form or another. For this book in particular for 1919, you know, I definitely could have written like a comprehensive nonfiction text about the the who, what, where, when and why um, something more akin to Ghost in the Schoolyard or, or, you know, the book I'm working on now. This. But, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think what I wanted was for people to enter at, at an emotional place um, and that, you you know, that what I wanted was for people to open this book to encounter a period in history they may not know a lot about and to approach it with their heart first and with the faith that their head will follow. Um, I hope mm-hmm. that folks will read this and learn a lot more about the period, but I hope that they'll begin by having empathy, care, and maybe a little bit of time to grieve um, some of these folks who lost their lives. Yeah, to that end, there are so many important and intricate layers to the Black experience back in the early 20th century, Mm -hmm. right? I think we can all agree on that. I'm thinking the great migration, prejudice, discrimination, inequities, right? And just nearly every aspect of life. Absolutely. What do you want to make sure does not get lost in telling this story? Even as you think about the, the play version of it. Yeah, I think if there's one thing I hope people take away is that, um, you know, we often have a very linear notion of time and of progress in our culture. Uh, Western society, American culture is very into notions of linear time and the idea that things will necessarily get better and better on their own, that that's kind of the natural march of, of progress through history. And what I want people to understand is that actually very often history repeats itself Mm -hmm. and that it's incumbent upon us to understand these histories and to think about how we interrupt those cycles rather than sort of resting on our laurels and assuming things are going to get better. You know, in, in 2020, I unexpectedly found myself doing a lot of press around this book and people were almost asking me sort of something like, how did you know, right? Like how, (laughs) how is it that you wrote this book about something that happened before, you know, I wrote the book and book was published in 2019. People were kind of like, how did you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's because I've come to understand these sort of recursive, nonlinear cycles of history. And I think that that doesn't mean we're doomed to repeat it. But I do think we need to um, have a little bit more of an active understanding of how these patterns repeat themselves. 
They sure do. I mean, I, I saw it throughout your book. Uh, that's why people were thinking you were some sort of wizard. <laughs> right. No, um, not so far. And yeah. if I was, I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> we'll leave it there for now. That's author, sociologist, and poet Eve Ewing. Her play, 1919, it debuts tomorrow night. It runs through October 29th at Steppenwolf Theater. I'm also going to be hosting an in-person conversation and Q&A with Eve about Chicago's Red Summer. That's next Wednesday, October 12th. It's at 7 p.m. inside the Logan Center for the Arts. You can register and purchase tickets to come join us at wbez.org slash events. Such a pleasure, Eve. Thanks, Million. This episode of Reset was produced by me and edited by Meha Ahmed. Enjoying the show? Then hit that subscribe button and tell a friend while you're at it. Sharing and rating our podcast helps more people find us and supports the work we do. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll see you tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.